something that I have been saying over and over again this month, but it means something more and more to me every time I say it. Because when you realize when you haven't been able to be together and then you're able to be together again, there is a great joy and ecstasy that comes along with that that brings us before the Father with gratitude in our hearts for the privilege of being a part of the family of God, the church. And that's you and I planted together. And that, that's what we've been talking about this month is planted together. God has put us here in this body together. All of us here today, we have been planted and sown in this beautiful garden, God's garden, that we may grow into who God intended us to be. And every week we've been reading this verse from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, that has been bringing us to this point of what God desires to do in our midst. And it says this, that we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. All of us here today were joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Isn't that great today? That God has allowed us to be joined and knit together like a blanket, if you will. All of those threads, they're woven together and we're growing up into this beautiful body called the church. And we help each other grow in the process. I've been trying to, every week, show us that what Paul is talking about in Ephesians really comes down to this, is spiritual formation in community. And that's what God desires for us, is God did not design us to just be a stagnant, uh, lifeless form that just takes up life. No, that's not what God, God wanted us to be a community that is continually being transformed. And as we have been seeing, that we would grow up into Christ who is the head. And as later on, Ephesians 5 talks about, we'll talk about this later, that we would be imitators of God. All of us here today, what a beautiful privilege that God is working in this body to build us. And so we've been studying Ephesians because what we see here in Ephesians, in the letter of Ephesians, and today we're going to particularly talk about the church of Ephesus. What we're seeing here is the beneath and the behind and the within of the church that we do see whenever and wherever it becomes visible. And one of the things I want to just kind of try to keep before us as we're talking about being planted together is that growth is a sign of life. And when there isn't any growth, there becomes a question of the, the health of the plant or if there is a sign of life. So growth is good. And really, when we're talking about being planted together, what is church without togetherness? Right? What is the church without togetherness? Without one another, then we have no church. We just have individual believers. And so last week, we talked about, we were challenged to lead a life worthy of the calling. And we respond to God's call, and God gives us gifts to help us in that process, a multitude of different, different, different gifts for service. But today, we're going to talk about a different gift, really one of God's ultimate gifts that he gives to us as we're going to read here in Ephesians chapter 2. But before we do that, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. Today we're going to talk about the ruins of forgotten love. The ruins of forgotten love. Ephesians is a unique letter. And Ephesians is a unique letter because at the time that Paul would write to the church in Ephesus, 
Ephesus was a city, was a port city that was alive. It was a vibrant city. It would have been the equivalent of Norfolk, Virginia, or San Diego, all this incoming traffic from all over the world, and that was what the equivalent of what Ephesus was. There was this, this great signs of vibrancy and life, but in the midst of that was a life and a world of sin among the, the town. There were multiple times of construction of the temple of Artemis, and I believe you're going to see some pictures on your screen as we just kind of give us a look of the ruins of Ephesus. And sometimes, you know, uh, that when we look at pictures of what used to be, it gives us an idea that when we read this Bible, it's not a fairy tale. It's not just some hope to be good advice. It is real life stories. This actually happened. And what you're seeing on the screen is the stories of ruins of forgotten love. This is what happened in Ephesus. Ephesus was a great town. Life was among them. And more than that, when the gospel came to Ephesus, it became one of the really turning points for the church in that area in Turkey. It was a vibrant city of Christian growth. It became the declared religion of that city. And it really was a special place at the time. Even when there came a point where Christianity began to get some hostility, the government of the town even spoke up and fought on the behalf of the Christians in Ephesus. But yet, nonetheless, they had great works. They had beautiful cities, but they had a forgotten love. And as we're going to study, we're studying Ephesians, sometimes it's helpful to take the big picture look. And when we're reading Ephesians, what is interesting is we're getting the first looks of what was said to the believers at Ephesus. But I want to read to you some of the last words that were said to the believers at Ephesus today. In Revelation chapter 2, this is Jesus writing to the churches. And he would write to the church at Ephesus these very unique words. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. He says, I know your works your toil, and your patient endurance. They went through a lot of things. As we've seen on the screen, they dealt in a city that was very inundated with very crazy lifestyles. He goes on to tell them, I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But Jesus said this. Now remember, when we're reading the letter Ephesus, Ephesus is really the only letter that Paul writes that does not offer a rebuke or a correction to the church. He didn't know them really well. So he just writes some great words of biblical principles about the church. But this is the first time that we, well, not the first time actually, but one of the times where we see a correction come to the church at Ephesus. Jesus says it himself. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The correction to the church at Ephesus was about their forgotten love. 
And what you have seen on the screen is pictures of a city that really is the ruins of a forgotten love. I don't know that Ephesus ever turned around after that. I don't know that they ever repented. We don't really know. We see other letters that go. Timothy goes to Ephesus at some point. Others go to Ephesus and try to help this vibrant city. But what they came down to and the great downfall of Ephesus was the forgotten love. Now I want you to notice one of the words that Jesus uses often as he's talking to the church at Ephesus because it's a word they like to use. And as a matter of fact, Paul knew that he liked to use that. They liked to use that word. So he would also repeat this word to them. He says this, I know your works. I know what you have done. I know that you're bearing for patiently. But he tells them, go back and do the works that you first did. So now let's go to Ephesians and read. What does Paul tell them about this matter? Ephesians chapter 2, verse for by grace you have been saved through faith all of us here today this is a great word we're going to talk about today grace amazing grace 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 over and over and over again john chapter 1 verse 1 tells us that god became he dwelt among us in human took on the form of human flesh and we go from grace to grace grace to grace grace is this mysterious word that we see throughout scripture we have a definition for grace but really, the definition of grace only gives us the concept of grace, but cannot really define what grace exactly is. The definition of grace tells us that it's this unmerited divine assistance that is given to humans to help them in their process of spiritual growth. But it doesn't actually tell us what is grace. What is, what is, if I could put my finger on grace, what is it? It's hard to put your finger on the concept of divine assistance. That's a big, broad term. But if I could really define grace, what is grace? Paul tells them that it's by grace you have been saved. That makes sense. It was divine assistance that helped you and I become the believers in Jesus Christ. And without that grace, otherwise we would be lost. But to really get the full concept of grace, we have to remember what we just read in Revelation, but we also have to go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul defines really in the best terms possible the, what grace could be. And what we see in Ephesians chapter 1 is a really interesting thing. And if you are a biblical scholar, you will appreciate this. Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 1 through 14 is the longest sentence in Greek that really has ever been discovered. It is a run-on sentence of run-on sentences. But as we have translated Greek to English, we have tried to break it apart to make it more understandable. But really, the complexities of what is happening in Ephesians chapter 1 make sense because Paul is really trying to put in terms this divine mystery and concept. And the complexities of the sentence make sense because it is a complex mystery itself. So when we look at this sentence, you're going to see some periods, some punctuation in there. But in the original language, that did not go. It would just went on and on and on, 14 verses of Greek that became difficult to understand. 
But one of the things that he says, and we're going to read some of this, not all of it, but some of the things that Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5 to understand this concept of grace. Is he destined us for adoption. Now, we're going to hold on to that word right there, destined. Put that in your pocket. He destined us for adoption according to the good pleasure of his will. It was God's will. This is a great, really biblical principle about Christianity. It was God's will to rescue us. God wanted that for you and I. God wanted to split, as I love what Isaiah says, rend the heavens and come down. It was God's will to rend the heavens and come down and save us. That was God's will. And he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to his good will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Here's that word again. And really Ephesians puts this word grace in multiple times in really in 20 different ways. We see this underlying word of grace. He has the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. This really is just a part that will help us better understand the concept of grace. Grace, grace, grace. We know that it's only by grace that we have been saved, as Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 2. But to understand the concept of grace really comes from these big words that are put in this, is that he freely bestowed and that he lavished on us. Grace is this at its best. It is God's goodness freely bestowed on you and I, and not only bestowed, but He lavished on us. He didn't just bestow it. He didn't just place it on our shoulders, but He covered us in grace. This is the best way to understand grace, that grace is really, it's not just something that initially makes contact with us. It is as if God would dump a bucket of water on our head and it would soak us completely. That's the concept of grace, is that grace is this unmerited divine assistance that he gives to you and I to bring us nearer to the Father. And it is an incredible concept to understand grace. So let's go back with that in mind and read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. It's by grace that you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And make sure that you note this word that he said in Revelation, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. One of the things that when you're talking about grace, and we have to distinguish here today because this becomes a really a, a misdoctrine, if you will, in a lot of our lives, is we try to live our lives as if though we are trying to obtain or in, get some type of credit in our spiritual bank account for God's goodness towards us. But that's not the way it works in the economy of God's kingdom. In the economy of God's kingdom, it is freely bestowed. So let's get this first about grace. Grace does not cost a dime for you and I. 
Grace is freely bestowed. You don't have to pay a price for grace. Jesus Christ paid that price for you and I. Thank God he did because you and I could never afford the cost. Jesus paid the, the price of grace for you and I. It's freely bestowed. A lot of times we have get in this idea that we have to do more and more and more to obtain God's grace, but that's not the way God's grace works. God loves us, period. God is love, period. It's not a matter of God loves us if, 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 this, this, and that. That is the measure of the law. And that was the problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus told them, he says, you put burdens on people that you yourself are not willing to bear. That's not grace. That's legalism. That's the law. And you know what happens to that? The Bible says that the result is death. Nobody can work their way out of the law. We'll never be able to keep up with it. it and it becomes really even true about you and I, that there is really no person in this room who has been able to keep the perfection of the law of this country. Right? All of us have broken the law at some point, whether we knew it or not, maybe in a little tiny way. But to keep it to its absolute perfection, that's a challenge for us all. So grace is freely bestowed. It's not a result of works. And many times in our lives when we're living as believers... We often have a prayer life that is reflective of that. And we feel like as if we will go and maybe volunteer or we'll give or we'll do something that is a result of works. We'll try to buy our way out of our sinful practices. But that's not the way that God intended it to be. And that's not the way that it works at all. Grace is freely bestowed. God loves us and there's nothing that you and I can do that will change how much God loves us. It's just a matter of who He is. If God's love changed on the basis of our merit, then His love would really be shifting all the time, and we would never receive His love. God's love is based on Jesus Christ Himself. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. I used to think in my life, and I've noticed this among other believers, that if I tried to do so many things, I would feel better about myself as a believer. I would feel like I had accomplished something. I would feel like that maybe I had obtained to something. And really what happens is, is that becomes a rat race. You get caught up in that trying to obtain and trying to feel good about yourself based on what you're doing and instead of grace. But really what God wants us to see in grace is that grace is based not upon ourselves, but it's based on God. Our worth is not based upon what we do. Did you hear me? Grace is not based upon what we do. Our worth as human beings is not based on who, what we do. Our worth as human beings, as people of God, as children of God, is based upon God. It's always measured up to God. I would get, I remember as a youth pastor, and I have these conversations with teenagers a lot, but I noticed that it's still a prevalent thought in many adults that we would base our worth upon other people or upon works or upon our measure of our lives and the fulfillment of our lives. But listen today, when we're talking about the concept of grace, it is freely bestowed, and it's not from you that came grace, it's from God that came grace. And our worth as people, our worth as children of God is based upon whom God is. And we have to say that today because there's a little enemy who likes to get in our ears. And he, the Bible says that he likes to condemn. 
And he likes to look at us and put us down based upon our former life or our sin. He'll bring up, as the Bible says, he's the accuser of the brethren. And he'll point out all the things that we've ever done wrong. And he'll make us feel worthless. But the truth is, is it doesn't matter what the enemy says because he's the father of lies. He can't speak a language that tells the truth. The only thing that matters is, is God's grace to us says that we are worth something to him. That doesn't mean we're worthy. We're all fallen. We've all made mistakes. But when grace came to us, that says that we matter enough to God, so therefore he sent grace. And what a glorious grace it is. It's not the result of works. It doesn't matter how many good works you do. It won't save you. It doesn't matter how many times I preach sermons. It won't save me. It is a matter of grace. It doesn't matter how many songs I sing. It doesn't matter how much money I give in the offering. It doesn't matter how many doors I open for people or how many pieces of food or clothing I give. Nothing will save me by works. Paul is very clear about that to this church. And as we see, as later on in Revelation, the ruin of what they did was they got caught up in the rat race of works. They thought by doing all the good stuff, it would get them somewhere. But Jesus came to them and said to them, you have forgot your first love. You thought that you were doing all the right things. But it reminds us that God hasn't called us to do anything. He's called us to be children of the living God. And that is the highest calling that any of us ha could have. More than what we could do, it's who we would become. Imitators of God for His kingdom. For by grace you have been saved. For by grace. May we never forget that. May we never, never forget in our serving and loving that when we're helping other people, as we're providing meals and outreach, as we're helping sing, as we're playing instruments, that it's not how, much I, how good I do it, it's that grace has brought me to that place. Grace has brought us there. May we never forget the power of grace. The second thing we see about grace is Paul tells them, it's not the results of works so that no one may boast. And then as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, it's that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. Grace is free. It doesn't cost anything, but grace is given in abundance. Grace is given in abundance. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And it's given in abundance. What does that mean for you and I? Well, as we have been trying to define grace, which I don't believe will ever be accomplished by even the greatest theologians to truly define grace, but to really understand the concept of grace, we know it doesn't cost anything. And we know that God gives it in abundance. What does that mean? That means in this process of spiritual formation in community that God is giving us grace as we are planted together to grow up into Christ. We're growing by grace. We're growing through God's divine assistance. We're growing as the Holy Spirit is working. He's bringing the words of God to our lives. He's planting them in our hearts. And it's grace that is helping us grow in this process. It's not the result of works. It's grace that is helping us grow. And it's not only that, but that it is lavished on us. God doesn't just give us grace one time, but we have grace every day. As believers, God is sending grace our way every day. To truly define that divine assistance and what it means, I'm not really sure. 
I'm not really sure that anybody knows. But it is grace that is helping us every day to live for the Lord, to honor him with our lives, and then to take that grace that he's given us and use it, as the Bible says, for good works, as we see here. That we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. It's all of that grace that God is lavishing on us. He's pouring on us like a bucket that is helping us to live this life out as believers. And I don't know about you, but I remember years ago when I just, I remember I was struggling as a young Christian and I was battling with this idea that, Lord, I feel like I can't do it. I feel like every time when I've, when I've got the right step, I trip again. I feel like that when I truly feel like I understand something, I fall again. And I couldn't get under my mind why it was that I kept tripping. And I realized that what I was doing was this principle right here, is that I was trying too hard and not trusting enough. I was trying to rely on my own strength and my own efforts to live out the life that God has called me to live instead of trusting in the grace of God to do it. There is this relationship factor that falls in. You see, trying too hard comes in when we try to do it ourselves, when we think that I'm enough. But the Bible says that he gave us grace so that no one may boast. Nobody can say to another believer, I'm a better believer than you because I have tried harder and I've worked harder and I've accomplished it. No, that's not the result of the Bible. The Bible says that it is not, grace has been lavished on us so no one can boast. All of us are trusting in the same grace. In this thing called the kingdom of God, there is no superiors, there's no inferiors. There are the people of God, the family of God, the household of God, and the Bible says we are one. And we are trusting in the same grace together. The same grace that you need is the same grace that I need. And it's helping us live out this life of, as believers in Jesus Christ. We need grace. Grace, grace, grace. Ephesians chapter 4, he goes on. And he begins to teach them further about this principle. And he tells them this, just this one verse I want to read to you. In verse chapter Ephesians 4.22, he says this, You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You know what grace helps us do? It's freely bestowed. It's lavished on us. But grace also helps us to live pleasing to the Lord. Grace helps us to live a life that God wants. If God's divine assistance is given to us, then it would make sense that our life is living in a divine way. It would make sense that when, if God's grace is truly helping us, it is reflective of the divine nature of God himself. And one of the things that Paul had a, was telling the church in Ephesus, and we know that was probably a problem for the church at Ephesus, as we could see later on in Timothy's letters, was that there was this idea of this kind of blurring the lines in the body of Christ. They weren't really sure who was who. I'm not really sure if that person is living under grace or if they're living under their former life. And so Paul tells them before even any of that happens, he says, you were taught to put away that former way of life. And many times in our lives as believers, as we're trying to distinguish between our lives, when God rescues us, his, we've been saved by grace through Christ. The blood of Jesus washed away all of our sins. And we have become new creations. And we are growing. 
But the struggle in that is that sometimes a lot of us default to our old life instead of to the new life. Our old life is comfortable. It's, it feels good. It's natural. It's what we've been used to. But when we become believers, we have to understand that that new life is not completely there yet because God wants us to grow into that new life. You're starting as a little baby Christian, but then you've got to keep growing and growing and growing in the process that is helped by grace. And many times when, when we see here in Ephesus, he was trying to help them distinguish something. Don't be like the Gentiles around you. They're building temples to Artemis. They're doing all of these pagan lifestyles. And he, later on, he tells them in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, there's some things happening that even that are secretly being done. We can't, he said, basically, he says this, we can't even write about it here. It's so bad. There was some bad lifestyles happening. But the thing that makes the Christian unique is that it is grace that helps us to live out this new life. That old life is being put away, and grace is helping me live out this new life. So maybe you're saying to me today, Charlie, I struggle with temptation. I struggle with this. I struggle with that. Listen, it doesn't matter what you struggle with. The truth is we all struggle. Every person here, we struggle. All of us here today, we struggle. But when we get to the point when we realize that our old life, we have to say to ourselves, it's going to be put away and it's going to be grace that's going to help us into a new life. Then we will experience the type of growth that God intended for us as believers. For by grace, you have been saved. And you can get into this new life. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's really God saves us to this ironic lifestyle. This, the former life, before we were believers, it's kind of this life that you're working harder to get up the ladder of success in life. You're trying to get a car, buy a house, get to this better position in your job. You're working, 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 working so hard. But when in the Christian life, it's the opposite. It's not that you have to try and try and try. It's just that you have to be okay with the fact that you can't see God, but you can trust that he's going to help you in the process. It's the type of relationship that brings us all the way back to Revelation. The last words is that they lost their first love. When you love Jesus with all of your heart, grace is going to help you grow and be all that you intended to be. The problem was with Ephesus is they got caught up focusing on their works. He knew that they hated evil. He knew that they hated those lifestyles of the people around them. But their problem was they got so consumed in with what they were doing that they forgot to be with Jesus. And the greatest accusation that I think could ever be written on the the tombstone of any of us is that you have forgotten your first love. May our love come again. Listen, when you love Jesus with all of your heart, you're going to serve better. You're going to worship better. You're going to give better. And listen, nobody has to teach you how to do that. Grace will help you do that. Grace is going to give you the strength to do that. For by grace, you have been saved. Musicians are going to come. As I think about grace, I think about living on this and the ruins of a forgotten love. I think about what will be said, and I want to encourage you today. What will be said about this body of believers right here today that have been planted together, All Nations Church, as we are known? What will be said about us 50, 100 years, if the Lord permitted to be? What will be said? What will be, what will be our story? May God help us to live by grace. And when I think about grace, 
I think about the power of grace. I think about the many lives that are in this room today. Testimonies we've heard even recently. How grace came. We don't know how, but grace helped us get to where we needed to be. I think about my own story. I didn't grow up in church, but I just remember one day I heard about the, the love of God and how much God loved me. And man, grace came down and rescued me. But when I think about somebody who could really articulate grace well, I think about this man. And he lived in the late 1700s. And this man had lived a life that was very detestable and despicable. He did some of the things that were even just... We talk about, we, we read about in our history books today and it turns our stomachs. A terrible life. He was a slave trader. He took boats back and forth through the continents, transporting people, suffocating them, bringing their lives to an end on a boat. What a life that he lived, a painful life. And the result of it was great challenges to the world for years to come even after that and so his life was difficult because of this he had a lot of losses but it was no difficult than the lives of the people that he was responsible for but this man one day heard the story the gospel about God's grace about the amazing love of God we've read about here even today. That Christ came and died on a cross. What? For me? This man, he wrote his story. Later on, as after this, he repented. Not only did he repent, he completely abandoned that whole life that he had given as a slave trader. And then he began to give his life as a priest, an Anglican priest. And then he began to pin the words of a song in, in coalition with a man who was fighting against the evils that even he had been a part of. And it said something like this, amazing grace. Oh, how it saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And John Newton would take those words to his grave and that would be his story and his song that he realized there was nothing he could do to cover the multitude of sins that he had committed in his life. There wasn't anything that he could do. But God's amazing grace came and rescued him. And his story is one that tells us about the power of grace. That you can be in the worst detestable place in life. But grace comes and rescues you. Puts you on your feet establishes you with a purpose to live and fight against the very thing that he once given his life for. He was taught to put away that former way of life, the old self, and now to live a life for Jesus. When you talk about grace today, if you want to really experience grace, you got to find the love of Jesus again. You got to get back to that place where you remember God's love came and rescued me. And don't forget it. And don't let anything else come before it. Don't allow any other person or object or goal or career or anything get in place of the love that you might would have for Jesus. 
God gave us this divine mystery of grace and our response is to just simply love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We stand today. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I want to read to you a verse today as we close in prayer here. Thinking about grace, I want you to recount the moment where you were when God's grace came and rescued you. Now listen today once again. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You need grace today. God's grace is available in time of need. It's available at his throne. If you just come to him. Lord, today we come to the throne of grace this morning. Oh, how we need your grace today, Lord. Lord, as we have talked about the ruins of a forgotten love. Lord, today I'm reminded that there's nothing we can do that would rescue us or save us. We're all lost apart from you, Jesus. But by grace we have been saved. By grace, oh God, that special love that you sent our way, that you bestowed and that you lavished on us like a bucket of water over our head. Grace, grace, grace. We're nothing without grace today, Lord. And so, Father, I want to thank you for grace today. And Father, once again, we remember how much we need grace. And we come humbly to your throne today petitioning you for grace God you would send that divine assistance to help us we don't deserve it we know that Lord but it's a matter of because of who you are it's reflective of your nature because you love us so much God we pray for grace today send grace our way today God give us strength today through grace to live the life that you called us to live Lord Lord help us to not get caught up in the rat race of trying to do everything but not being in love with Jesus. Help us above all, Lord, to love you with all of our heart. All of us here today, may you check us today. God, help us to not get in love with what we're doing, but to become more and more in love with Jesus. Help us to put our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, in 50, 100 years, if you permit it to be, may it be said of all nations' church, oh, how they love Jesus. Oh, how they love the Lord with all of their heart. So, Lord, today, would you give us grace and strength and love today, the type of love that covers a multitude of sins, that helps us to get rid of that former life. We separate ourselves from it, and now we grow into who you destined us to be. 
Lord, we thank you today. As the choir sings this morning, if you need grace today, it's free. Just call upon the Lord. Ask him today. Ask him today. Let's sing this morning.